0: Welcome to The Caleb Show. This is a show about the Bible, about renewing, and about the mind, where every week we discuss how the Word of God is sufficient for day to day living, no matter what is happening in your life. You will be challenged to make the Bible an essential part of your thinking and living. Join us now as we investigate the world with the ancient truth of God's Word. Hey, everybody, welcome to the show. This is a place where we talk about the Bible. We talk about renewing the mind. We talk about the things that the Bible has to say that affect us on a day to day level. This is a place for you to be challenged, for you to be encouraged, for you to grow. And it's our first episode. So it's kind of a big deal, I guess. It's our first episode. Now, In this particular episode, what we would want to talk about is this idea of the Bible, which, of course, is our main consistent theme constantly in all of our podcasts. But it's the Bible in its relation to authority and sufficiency. Now, I don't know if you go to church somewhere. I don't know if you've been through doctrinal studies. I don't know if you've been to Bible school. But I think there's something being lost today in our Western culture where we don't quite grasp the idea of the Bible as authority and as the Bible as sufficient. Now, when I say authority and sufficient, let me define my terms. So when we talk about authority, we want to understand that it's not a bad word We often think that maybe something authoritative is bad or it comes down heavy upon us or it's there to restrict us or to keep us from living our life as full as we possibly can. That's not the idea of authority and certainly not the biblical idea of authority. Authority is there, for instance, if you're a parent and you have small children, very small children, you are their authority, So as their authority, you're there to make decisions for them that will have a positive effect on their health and safety and growing up, maturing life. Okay, So that's what primarily an idea of authority is. It's there to provide a safety zone for us to live in so that we can have the freedom to live our life in such a way that we're not a detriment to ourselves or other people. So when we first talk about authority, that's kind of what we want to understand. But an authority has to have the power to bring about what it sees as best, okay? So authority and power go very closely together. Now, I used to live in South Africa, and we studied the Zulu language. And in Zulu, you only have one word for authority and power. When it's translated in the Bible, it's, either, it's sometimes flipped and flopped both ways. And that's the word mandla, a mandla is authority and power both. So in, Zulu, in the Zulu mind, they're united. If somebody has the authority, they have the power. And if somebody has the power, they have the authority. And so they're, they're linked like that. Now, when we talk about in our country here in America or in any Western, any, almost any country, there's always a head of state. That head of state is Im- imbibed with or, or given the authority to rule the nation within the confines of its constitution or its or its uh, government or whatever. So in the American system obviously you have three branches of the government. You've got the the judicial the legislative and the the other one. <laughs> and that's going to make me sound stupid but um, basically you got the president's office, you got the Congress and you've got the uh, the the Supreme Court. And so those are your three branches of the government. Now, the president, as we all know, his role rotates. It's a rotating role. It could very well be a different person every four years or every eight years, depending. And so when that new guy comes into office, the old guy steps to the side, relinquishes his power and authority, and basically hands it over to the next guy. So the next guy then swears himself in as being faithful to the laws of the nation and takes on then the authority and by virtue of that authority the power then to fulfill his role as the president of the United States or the prime minister or the or whoever the head of state happens to be so that's how that works now if you have someone with authority and they don't have the power to back it up it's a bit like that barking dog that runs up to you and it just yip 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 it's putting on a show but you just stand there and you kind of take a quick step toward it and it backs up and runs away. It doesn't, it doesn't want to exercise its biting ability to show that it has the power behind. So they say all bark and no bite. That's basically a way of saying he has authority, but he doesn't have the power to back it up. So he's all bark and no bite. He just, he's hot air. So we don't want that. The two have to go together. So when we talk about the Bible having authority, we have to then also say that the Bible must come with it the power to back up what it's saying. Now that may be a new thought for you, to think that the Bible also has the power to back up what it's saying. And it does have that power, and that's what we're trying to get across in all of these podcasts, is the Bible has, it it states what it states with authority, and it gets its authority from God. And then as a result of the authority that's been invested in it from God, it has the power then to renew our mind. And that's what we're trying to understand, is that our mind has to be renewed by the words and the authority and the power of Scripture. So that's how that works. Now, we can explain this more in future podcasts, but that's in a nutshell what we're trying to understand and grasp. So let's now talk about the idea of sufficiency. If somebody has the authority to do something, then that means by definition, they must be sufficient in order to bring that about. So when people are running for president, so this is the year 2020, it is election year. Now, right now, all of the election stuff is overshadowed by the coronavirus that's taking place. And we're on, you know, right now in the news, it's all we talk about. So, but typically when you have an election process, what everyone is trying to do is find out Who is sufficient to take on the role of the president's office? And so you got candidate A, B, C, D, E, F, and G up there, and they all debate with each other. They all field questions. They all go around and talk to people and kiss babies and shake hands and all that kind of thing. And what they're doing is trying to tell everyone that they are sufficient for the role of president. And so... When they acquire that role, let's say they're voted in, then they are given the authority to do it. And so the, the sufficiency has to be there in order for the authority and the power to be just and right. So I'm saying this in a perfect world. I'm just using the president's office as an example because it's easy for us to understand that. But when we talk about the Bible, if the Bible has the authority that it says it has, if it really is inspired by God and really is... Uh, able to conduct God's spirit into your mind and into your heart, then if it has that authority and that power, then that means it must be sufficient. The sufficiency should have already been assumed there. But what I think many of us forget here in the West is that we, we don't think the Bible is sufficient in what it says for us to take it at the face value that it presents to us and go with it. We don't think it's a, it's sufficient. And because we don't think it's sufficient, we basically ignore its authority and its power. So we we, we undermine it in that way. So let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, but So first we have to do an introduction to our examples. So why does the Bible have authority? And why is it sufficient? It's because it comes from the highest place. Okay? So I'm just a normal person who lives my life, and I go to work, and I have a boss over me. But my boss has a boss over him. We don't necessarily think like that, but we do. My boss has a boss over him, which is essentially the the state government. And it dictates how he should run his business because there's laws in place for that. Now, where do those laws come from? Those laws come from a power above him, which is uh, the governor of our state. The governor of our state derives his power from the federal government, and the federal government has its head of it, is all the leaders of the federal government, which would be the president and all the people within the Senate and the Congress and the House and and all that kind of thing. So you see there's this tearing up effect. We go from the lowest level all the way up to the highest level. So this is not saying that the president has absolute power. He doesn't. In some countries, the head of state does have absolute power, like in North Korea or, or China now with uh, the president in China is consolidating a huge amount of power to himself. And so he's becoming this person that actually does have absolute power. But in our country, that's not quite like that, but it, it has been in, in the past. And so, but God himself has the highest power. So if we carry on with what the scripture says, we talk about principalities and powers, and we discover that there's almost like a hierarchy of angels that go up all the way to the very tip-top, which is the Godhead at the very, very top. So now there's a huge gap between the Godhead and the first angel, which according to the scriptures we both we think is Lucifer, and then Michael and uh, Gabriel are right up there as well. So we're going to name those three guys, Lucifer, Michael, and Gabriel, as like the three of the, 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 the most highest created of orders. It's kind of up there with them. Some people say there's another two, Raphael and and I think Uriel was another one, if you read Book of Enoch and things like that. So that being stated, um, you end up with this hierarchy. So different levels of functioning of authority and power. So as humans, we sit here on the earth as having been given dominion. God gave us, he bequeathed to us dominion. So we have authority and power over the earth. And that means that there's a sufficiency within us to do it. And so we we cut down trees and we build houses. We capture the earth's resources and from that we make the technology that we have to communicate and to live our life as we're living it. We're subduing the earth in that sense. And that's exactly what it says in Genesis. It says, you have dominion over the earth, now go out and subdue it. And whether you believe in God or not, that is exactly what is happening. The earth is being subdued by the human race. Because just pick up any map and look at the cities all over the world and the road system and the, the, the maps of the internet and how it's all interconnected. That's exactly what's happening. And so, because that we, we are able to do that because of a mandate that God gave us, as of Genesis 1 and 2, is why we have that mandate. And so, but God is the highest. Now, God has communicated to us, if He by definition, if He's God, He must be able to have the ability to communicate to us. And He has communicated to us through the scriptures of the Old Testament and the New Testament in the Bible, and so those scriptures then have an authority invested in them that is able to now speak to us. And so, let me get that. So that's like why the Bible, as I'm saying, has authority. It's because it it comes from God in that line of of, um, yeah, it's that hierarchical line, right? So let's give us a couple examples now. If we consider where we say the Bible is not sufficient. Now, I'm just giving you two examples. But we could say one of the big arguments nowadays is the argument of creation versus evolution. Now, I know there's lots of believers out there, and some believers would say, some people in the church would say that evolution is fine. Other people in the church would say, no, it's not. So I'm saying let's have the Bible speak for itself. Let's, have the, let's deal with the Bible on its own terms and understand what, what the Bible's trying to say. Now, what the Bible is saying very clearly in Genesis chapter 1 And this is backed up by Hebrew lexicons that define the word day as used in the Bible, that creation took place over a six-day period, and that God created all things that we have functioning as a complete system within a six-day period. So that's how the Bible describes the beginning of the existence that we know today and are functioning within. Okay? So there are those who would say, well, no, the Bible actually is not sufficient to give us the information we need to understand everything around us. Science says that everything evolved. Now, why does science say that everything evolved? It says that because of Darwin's ideas of evolution and the origin of species. And as a result of his ideas, people have now put this sort of philosophical idea onto absolutely everything. And so, a a very good book that I would recommend is... The one on called Seven Men Who Ruled the World from the Grave, and in that book, he the author talks about how different people have taken the ideas of evolution and they have applied them to uh, government with communism, and they've applied it to theology, and they've applied it to philosophy and to socialism uh, or social uh, sociology and these kind of things. And so when that happens. Then you end up having sort of the philosophy of evolution get put into lots of different areas, and so science has now done that and said, "Well, everything had to evolve, and so we need to understand how the whole world has evolved." So, if you read like the Answers in Genesis material, or the Institute for Creation Research material, and these kind or Creation Magazine, uh, these kind of journals that come out, and and. And documentation, they're consistently saying that it's a battle of worldviews, and I believe that that's true. There's a worldview that says that everything evolved through means of natural selection and evolution. Then there's another worldview based on the Bible that says everything came about as a as a self-contained system within the known universe that was put there by God because He has the highest mind and was able to create this structure that we now call uh, the universe and we are one part of that universe. And so it's a battle of worldviews, because we can see the world around us, and then we have to d- have to interpret what we see around us. So someone living today as an evolutionist and someone living today as a creationist, they both have PhDs in the same field of science, but one of them will interpret what he sees through a worldview of natural selection and Darwinian evolution, or even modern evolution. Some people say that there's two different things. Uh, and another guy will say... He'll say, well, no, I I recognize that God is the highest mind, and the Bible has now stated that everything came about through this manner, so he's going to interpret everything he sees from that perspective. Okay, And so it it really is coming down to a battle of worldviews. So a lot of Christians then would say they may be believers, they may go to church, they may read the book of Romans and the gospel and say, I believe everything and agree with everything in the gospels and all that, but they might very well say, but science says this about the created order. And so aren't they right? Don't they do uh, tests on these things and run experiments and do their research and things like that? They do. But at the same time, good, solid, educated PhDs that believe what the Bible says are doing the exact same thing, and they're both approaching it from two separate worldviews. And so... There's people who say, well, the Bible's not sufficient for us to understand the created order or, or the way the universe operates. We have to understand it through our own processes and ways of explaining things and all that kind of stuff. So uh, if you ever listen or watch the Answers News that comes on every day uh, on Mondays, every Monday uh, afternoon, you can watch it on YouTube. The Answers News comes out, and they regularly talk about how... Um, evolutionary scientists have to redefine what they mean by this and what they, how they, old they think the universe is and all that stuff. I mean, it's, it's literally almost every week some article comes up that says we have to now rethink everything we know about how evolution works and how old the universe is. Um, and so by default, that means the creationists or uh, uh, people who are believers who go are in church but hold to an evolutionary scientific perspective have to then do the same thing. So it's a constantly changing field, whereas people who hold to the Scripture, uh, it stays consistent all the time. They just see the world, interpret it through the lens of Scripture, and it's always, they don't have to constantly be trying to redefine what they mean by things. Okay, so you see how that works? Uh, Another area in which I believe that the church is often saying that the Bible is not sufficient to speak into is in the area of psychology, and so, the New Testament talks over and over and over again about the soul. Just the word psychology itself means the study, literally the study of breath. Because the word suke, where we get our word psychology, the word suke means a breath in Greek. And that word is used over and over and over again in the New Testament, and it's often translated life or soul. So, psychology is a study of, of life or, and soul. And so the soul is all about our mind and our emotions and our will, but there are there are many in the church who would say, "Well, we have Freudian psychology and Jungian psychology, and we have all these new psycholo- all these uh, um, professional psychologists who have studied people for years, and they read all the journals and they have been to university and so really uh, we as Christian counselors need to need to." To put you over into the hands of psychologists and these kind of people because they're more qualified than we are to help people in their emotional and mental states uh, that they, they maybe are ill or something like that. So I would suggest the answer is no. That's not true because the Bible is sufficient, and if the Bible is sufficient, then that means it's sufficient to speak to us on issues of our mind and our emotions and the decisions we make and how it affects our life. Okay, so. Uh, the problem with the psychology from a secular or or outside the Bible perspective is that they're always looking at, hu- all they have to look at is humans. So if you have a hundred humans or a million humans and you look at those humans, then they will look at a million humans or a hundred humans and they'll try to work out what's normative among them. And then they create a model of normative human behavior based on that hundred. Okay. And so but the problem is, is every one of those hundred people that they're watching are broken people because as the Bible teaches, sin entered our human existence and it shattered the image of God that 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 was that we are made from. And so we are a broken image of God, not a clear image of God as the scripture says we were originally created with Adam and Eve. It says God, we were made in God's image. And so... Uh, now, we could debate what that means, made in God, God's image, but that was stated before sin came in. Once sin came in, now, if you read Genesis 5, it talks about Adam and Eve having their children in the genealogy that goes from that, and they're made in the likeness of Adam and Eve. So we are in the likeness of, of, of a sinful Adam and Eve, is what it is. And so we are not whole people. Nobody's born a whole people. Everyone's born cracked. And so as they grow up and, and get older, they, they, they break up more, they begin to break and crack more and more and more. So once the psychologist comes along and starts looking at these people, it's too late. They're already in trouble. And so there, you have to then find a way to get a whole person. Now, in the Bible, the only two humans that have ever been whole and unaffected by sin was Adam before he fell into sin, and Jesus who walked the earth uh as a man from the, the Son of God who walked through. The, they're the only two people that who were ever without uh fault or without that were innocent, without sin, without didn't function in a sinful state. So if really uh we need to be looking at Jesus and the person of Jesus and what the New Testament describes to us as the as the life that, that we should be living as people who come under the um who become like become children of God is in effect is what I'm trying to say. So that being the case, we need to look at all these instances where it's talking about the mind and talking about the suke and trying to understand how we should think. And when the, and when we allow the Bible to speak to us in that manner and the words and the understanding of the scripture get into our head, it will renew us. Okay. And it will give us a clarity to see the world from. And so that's what this idea of authority and sufficiency is about the Bible has the authority, but very often we are not giving it the sufficiency or allowing it to have the sufficiency that it needs. We think we know better so and i 'm only using science and um, psychology as two examples of how the church has undermined the sufficiency of scripture in in many ways and then allowed the the body of Christ to function in a less than perfect state or in a substandard state, I should say. And so perfection's hard to grasp and hard to define. (laughs) So we'll say substandard. And so you look at the scriptures and you look at the church at large and you see a disparity between the two. And so if we can get back to a sufficiency of scripture and get back to allowing the scripture to speak on its own terms to us, then we will start seeing real change. And that is what this podcast is after. It's after real change taking place in people's lives and then revitalizing the church to revitalize society in the world. So that's the end of this podcast. God bless you, and we'll catch you next week.